0: Hi and welcome to Coronacast. My name is Cat Boyd. I'm joined with my co-host David Jameson. How's it going? (laughs) David, you sound like Darth Vader already. Um, (laughs) Obviously David is not in the room with me because here at Countercast we are practising all of the government measures and being very, very well behaved, aren't we?
1: Yes, uh, we have fully surrendered to uh, state capitalism in Britain.
0: Yeah, and indeed it is state capitalism Last time we had the pod uh, we had Ben Ray on from Spain and I'll tell you what that episode really darked me out Aye,
1: aye, those those were dark days still dark days, but yeah we were struggling still to come to terms with the enormity of it all That was on the day of course of... uh, uh, Sunak's speech, uh, where he sort of bends neoliberalism, uh, and it was uh, yeah, my, yeah, my head was absolutely spinning. Uh, still is a bit. Uh, I, I, am still struggling to come to terms with everything that's going on. But yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, two hours of uh, <laughs> furious uh, speculation. Um, but hi, it was good.
0: Um, So we're recording this on Thursday the 26th of March, and we've been in lockdown here in Glasgow since Monday the 23rd, actually. I had managed to, on Monday night, switch off, um, like, all my social media and all news notifications for, like, one hour and do a dial-in with some friends, like, just a kind of Zoom call where we just, like... Hey, how was everything going and seeing people's face and that sort of cute stuff that everybody's doing just now? And I <laughs> missed the government announcement that there was a lockdown. So as soon as I turned my like notifications and stuff back on, my phone was going bananas. Everyone's screaming at me, you were fucking wrong about the lockdown. So this is my official apology to anyone that <laughs> I lulled into a false sense of security but what I will say is that this technically isn't really like a proper lockdown I mean you can still go out twice a day
1: yeah it's it's deliberately very phased I think um I think it's partly to psychologically ease us in I also think it's partly to protect the economy particularly in London where they seem very very loath to close down you know the global financial metropolis they're very key to protect its functioning. Um, So, yeah, it's only really a partial shutdown. And I think, yes, that's partly about insulating shock, partly about protecting business. But as of the moment, we have the right to... uh, one uh one mandated exercise per day
0: which is more than i usually get to be fair
1: (laughs) yeah uh and you can go to the shop or the pharmacy but if you're not a, a key worker uh you're not supposed to be going to work but it's very unevenly, uh, you know, in effect. Loads of self-employed people are still going to work. I find it hilarious that loads of like glass and steel corporate monstrosities are still being constructed in London. So it's not, it's not even like homes. Or hospitals or anything like that it's just yet another fucking skyscraper you know the production on that cannot stop uh, These pe- you know people keep- need to keep going uh, to-, to work sites it's pretty ludicrous
2: but I think you make
0: a good point about like the fact that they are still building these glass and steel monstrosities do you know what I mean like those pieces of architecture like you can see it in Glasgow I look around everywhere and everything new that's been built is this like glass and steel like Mm. classic embodiment of the postmodern aesthetic
1: when we are living
0: through the end of postmodernism the grand narrative is back
1: yeah, but the, 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 the illusion uh, of, of the postmodern era will die very hard. I think it's kind of fitting, actually, that the, the, the last piece of economic activity, you know, that they don't want to stop is to keep building these big, like, yeah, corporate fallacies that kind of uh, thrust into the sky. Uh, they're desperate. <laughs> like David Jameson there. The, yeah, they're desperate to keep those, you know, erect. Uh, as 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 proof of the virility or the continuing virility of Western capitalism. Uh, in
0: reality, the economy is becoming quite flaccid.
1: It it's it's so flaccid, man. Uh, do you know? I mean, capitalism's porno has definitely been turned off. You know. Uh, <laughs> Uh,
0: yeah, yeah uh, capitalism's sex drive is real low energy at the
1: moment. Uh know. it's so low energy at the moment. Uh, perhaps we shouldn't pursue this metaphor anymore. No,
0: no I think we've really like
1: we've hammed it up too much. But let, yeah, I mean, it. You know, it has uh, an aged libido. Let's see. Um,
0: and since so our last, I- since our last pod. We've had um, Trump saying that workers are going to be back at work by the very special day of Easter when our Lord rose again. Um, yeah. that's the workers will ret- return to work <laughs> <laughs> Again,
1: yeah, the, uh, the workers shall uh, yeah, uh, return to work. I mean, actually, um, Trump contradicted that yesterday and decided that. So he says he wants packed churches on Easter yeah. Sunday, which sounds like uh, uh, yeah, a, a coronavirus wet dream. Like, why can't I get away from this deck stuff? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, he, yeah, so he wants packed churches. I think that's a, partly an appeal to to this kind of evangelical base uh yeah. Uh, I mean, there's an interesting kind of. Uh, I heard it described as the party of death. You know, there's there's a, a you know a, a play on the party of order. There's uh, an argument um, emerging in the ruling class all around the world to drive people back to work. The uh, Wall Street Journal's editorial yesterday basically said this is not sustainable. We need to start sending people back to work. And Trump at yesterday's press conference said that people would start quite possibly. Start returning to work before Easter Sunday and Easter yeah. Sunday is only 17 days away so he had the way he put it was we love to work people love to work in America Americans love to work and you know we love God so we need to go back to church and stuff like Like, that. and
0: I get I like I understand what he's trying to do and Bolsonaro's trying to do a very similar thing like as the disease is ramping up in brazil like he made this address to the nation that said that the media were being hysterical condemned school closures urged everyone to get back to normal compared covid19 to a little flu um and basically is not recommending quarantine so what we are seeing is like this real like rawness to like Capital as a force, like as it plays out through states and state leaderships, which yeah. is like actually, you know, hundreds of thousands, um, if not to the end of this, into the millions will will pay the price to keep yeah, the economy no. going. And that's think, an economy that works for the 1%. And I think that we need to be really clear that you know, I mean, the working class shouldn't pay with their lives or the lives of their loved ones to prop up their system.
1: See, just to chuck in a few stats here to give a sense of the enormity of the situation. Two billion of the world's population are currently in lockdown. That's a quarter of the world's population. One in 20 UK workers have lost their jobs. It's believed that one in 10, as many as one in 10 US workers have lost their jobs. So, you know, there are huge tectonic, you know, plates shifting around the world, class antagonisms opening up. There are massive strike waves, by the way. I mean, it's so underreported and it's hard to get a grip of just how big some of this stuff is. But basically all of Northern Italy is uh, engaging in massive industrial action. Um so like <laughs> shit is definitely happening, right? But see that see that thing about two billion people in lockdown. I think we have to prepare ourselves for the reality. The the drive to push people back into the economy to kind of re-economize society is gonna take on a series of different like cultural uh intonations around the world. So in the United States, we love work and we love Jesus is you know is gonna work at least for a section of the population. Population. See in Britain, I think you're gonna see a lot of the science says we can return to work. You know what I mean? There's there's a great love of that kind of stuff. And so in the last couple of days, well, yesterday, basically, I emerged that there will be a scheme for public testing for uh, immunity to the virus. And it's expected that uh, at least a portion of the population will have developed immunity. We don't really know at this point how many people uh, can carry the disease and develop an immunity without experiencing any symptoms. But it's expected that a portion of the population will be immune. And in any case, we'll be testing. Uh, It's believed as soon as next week... uh, 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 mass public testing may be underweight. So I think that the government's going to use that as a pivot, as an argument to start saying, uh, okay, we need to start normalising the situation and so on. The carnage in the global markets is profound, right? And, they, and an argument is growing, as I say, that we can't let this happen. It's starting in America, but I think that argument is going to spread over much larger sections of the population. Um, and I just think that people should be very aware that your health and safety is not the prime concern here. The economy is the prime concern. Because there's going to be a lot of... There's going to be so much confusion out there, right? See when, see when they, they start telling people that a sufficient part of the population is now immune, so things can start to return to normal. They're, they're doing that with the protection of the economy in mind, not your health. And they're prepared to raise the mortality rates. There's already a body of revisionist literature emerging. So, there's already a bot, you know, scientists, you can find a scientist to, to agree with any position you want, right? This is another thing that people don't understand about the science and the experts. You can find an expert to argue any case you want. And they're already finding virologists. There's a, a, one in Germany, for example, who is now making the argument that basically, you know, it's a marginal difference, you know, in, in, in the mortality rate, whether we do lockdown or basically just let people carry on as normal, right? These arguments will start to proliferate and i dare say you'll start to see journalists as well writing about the great phony panic of 2020 you know talking about it in a sociological way like oh why why did we panic so much do you know what i mean like the, the gears are starting to grind on that whole operation and i think there will be a big division open up in society between basically virus believers and virus deniers Uh, and the virus deniers will be, to a significant extent... Pushed by big business, uh, powerful political actors, uh, and so on, whose main concern is the economy.
0: I mean, I think that we should be very suspicious of any politician that talks about a return to normal um, because those days are over. Um, Now that we've had it exposed on a national, global as well scale, that the people who actually function or make society function, make things work properly, are the people who, I mean, a matter of months Go, we unskilled, and if you weren't born here, we're going to be deported. Do you know what I mean it's yeah. the civil servants, it's the nurses, it's the shop workers, it's all those jobs. Do you know what I mean I just don't think that. <clears throat> normal as is, uh, is a possible thing like we get their concept of normality or normalization you know the they're trying to reframe that into you know there will be no real great social change from this and i think it's really up to the the more radical and revolutionary parts of the left to seize that narrative and say no we won't we won't go back to the way things
2: were.
1: Yeah, and it's a clever angle to say things should go back to normal because on one level people want that and you can understand why. I mean, people want their family lives back. People want their routines back. They want their hobbies back. When people think of normal, they think of walking their kids to school. They think of going to football on a Saturday afternoon and stuff like that. But the, the both the tragedy and the really fucking annoying thing about the way this argument is going is... Uh, uh, the way this thing is going is is that normal's going to mean a return to work but no one's going on fucking holiday or to a gig or a football match for a long time <laughs> I mean it's just annoying apart from anything else
0: um, so on today's episode of CoronaCast we have a special guest um, we have Marty Smith who is joining us all the way from China so hi Marty hello hello Hi. Um, So I kind of like know you from general politics, but mostly Twitter, actually, um, and a bit of Instagram. um, And I've seen you tweeting from quarantine when that seemed like a really, you know, mad situation for people to be in. Um, And (laughs) it turns out that's a reality too. So um, you're also the founder of Autonomy. So you're a, a fellow Brexiteer. So very, very welcome on the old corner. Cast.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, founder of Autonomy, so just trying to get a campaign and organisation formed in Scotland to try and put forward the message that Scotland shouldn't be in the EU after independence. I think it's common sense, really.
0: I mean, I'm so sick of being called a bloody fascist for articulating those arguments when we've just literally seen a giant shift in global politics. The EU abandoned all its responsibilities when it came to the coronavirus and Italy got its aid from China. Like, so, this like incredible, you know, benevolent institution that you know people are quite happy to wrap themselves in the flag of or drape it out their window. I mean, it was rife right round here pre virus, um, you know, just abdicated on you know, its responsibilities and left a whole nation hung out to dry.
2: Yeah, I think I saw the I was at the Serbian prime minister who said. You've abandoned us, you? And the only people who are saving us now are the communists—the ones that you've slayed for so long. <laughs> I think that was just like a stark realization of like the, the liberal elite has just totally abandoned everyone and just decided that they're rich enough to hide in their homes and not really doing anything about the situation.
0: Yeah. Um. So tell us, China, you've survived the coronavirus. Not
2: yeah, I, I have survived. I'm a survivor. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm based in. Uh, Xi'an in Shanxi province which is the next province over from uh, Wuhan the sort of epicentre of uh, the crisis. In terms of like our province um, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of the details but lockdown was in full effect Um To the point where I was allowed to leave my apartment for an hour a day. Um, So it was 23 hours walked inside, and I could go outside for an hour. It started off an hour a day, and then it went down to an hour every two days. Um, So from that point, it just started to begin to really ground you down mentally, and I'm sure I don't wish it on anyone, but I think that to... To combat this across Europe, it's going to have to follow sort of similar legislation.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, see from your perspective, right? I mean, let's actually tell the story a bit about the outbreak in China. So, it broke out uh, in, yeah. in in Wuhan, and um, uh, i at a marketplace. Where? What point was that? Was that December last year, or was it was it before that?
2: Um, so, yeah, it was it was um, mid December, but um, the first case that was reported in Wuhan by hospital um, was the 27th of December and then from that point it's just sort of escalated further and further and in terms of what the state did they they immediately sent uh, people from the National Health Commission to Wuhan to start the investigation of what was going on. And it was a, a doctor there. They found out prior to this, because a doctor was chatting on the social platform over here, WeChat, that there was a an outbreak of SARS in uh, a seafood market in Wuhan. Um, and when we talk about seafood market, it's not just seafood. It sells, I'm sure as you've heard, it sells bats and snakes and loads of exotic animals uh, for consumption.
1: Uh-huh. Um, and and then it did it did spread outside of wuhan uh to other chinese cities but it was uh largely contained uh is that right and then how did the how did the chinese state um because it, it is massively receding in china isn't it now um how did the chinese state uh, manage that
2: well um the virus had spread to pretty much every province in China by the end of January uh-huh. um, so at that point they started to take things a lot more seriously um, prior to that um, looking at the sort of uh, legislation that they put in was which was quite a big deal over here was they basically cancelled uh Chinese New Year. Um, so the spring festival is when people from all across China travel back home. Uh, a lot of people don't live in the province that they were originally born in, and they travel back home. And obviously, during the, the sort of crisis, they didn't want anyone to do that because it was just going to escalate the transmission of the virus. And um, so from from that point, Chinese New Year celebrations were cancelled uh, at the end of um, January, which is when Chinese New Year is, and big displays in like Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, things like that, they were all just postponed and then eventually cancelled. Um, in terms of what the government did, uh, President Xi sort of took a, a back seat early on and uh, he pushed forward his uh, prime minister, his premier, who is Li. Uh, I won't pronounce his last name because I'll butcher it. But um, yeah, the premier was kind of sent to Wuhan quite early on, um, and uh, the Chinese got the Chinese people sort of took to the premier quite well. He's seen as quite as a technocrat in uh, in China, um, and he was trying to put forward his, his public image quite drastically that he was the one man leading the country. Um, but during this, he sort of took a um and the people of Wuhan took to the premier Lee and sort of turned. Begin to see a wee bit um in, in that aspect, and in terms of what they what they did once the um, crisis had sort of about to peak. Looking back on on when uh, the historical timeline and
1: things.
2: <laughs> Um, the, the premier actually put forward from the uh, one of the branches of the Chinese government, which is like a legals affair branch, they put forward, a, it's, it's quite drastic. Um, it says, self-deception will make the epidemic worse and turn a natural disaster that was controllable into a man-made disaster at great cost. Anyone who deliberately delays and hides out of self-interest will be nailed on a pillar of shame... <laughs> came for eternity.
1: My God. I mean, that, <laughs> which, which, seems, uh,
2: which seems very, very yeah uh, Yeah.
0: So can I just come in? Because obviously, like, the last sort of, like, major news stories that referenced China were the stories pointing out that the death toll in Spain now exceeds the death toll in China. So I suppose I'm quite interested in how... <clears throat> Like is the virus fully contained there now is that is that the like is that the, the true message?
2: Yeah, so two days ago Premier Lee came out and said that they've contained the virus and they believe that the only new cases of the virus are ones which are imported. Yeah. So they're coming into China from countries like Italy and Spain. So um, And like, they're reporting why... at about 400 cases a day.
0: Yeah, so why do you think that the Chinese state has succeeded where Europe
2: has failed? So in terms of what we had to do during the lockdown. I think the difference is drastically. Looking at the UK specifically, there seems to be a lot of industries that aren't closing that are being put forward as necessary when they're really not necessary. Um, Here, the only things that were open during the drastic lockdown from the end of Spring Festival to just this weekend past were um, convenience stores and supermarkets. So everything else was closed. Um, you could get restaurants uh, to deliver some food, but there was very, very few that were open. Um, so basically, the only thing that was still open was food, food, uh, food source. Uh, and basically getting your toilet or whatever you are panicking about over there um, <laughs> there was no nothing there was no, there was nothing like panic buying here. I could walk into the supermarket on my one hour outside and it was stocked to the brim. There was nobody panicking. It was sort of like a you take what you need not take way more than what you're supposed to be doing, but in terms of um your original question what the Chinese government did was anybody who left their gated community so the way that the, a lot of the mass city structured anyway is that a lot of people live inside gated communities which are policed by sort of a uh, community uh, security called the Andau, Um and they sort of sat at the front gate and they had a little desk and they would take your temperature and they would take um, uh, information about where you were going and what you were doing and if you were just going out for your one hour or if you were going to work at somewhere that was a sector that was still open. Um, whilst you were outside, you tried to wear a mask, a face mask. Um, and that became law in certain aspects and and you would be very like it'd be very frowned upon and people would be shouting at you in the street if you weren't wearing a mask sort of thing Ah,
0: like a bit Um, of collective pressure
2: yeah yeah definitely especially for um when uh you could see there was like an older the older population were out at that time um if you weren't wearing a mask there would definitely be people sort of looking at you putting putting pressure on you and and making you feel guilty but i mean i never went outside without a mask it just wasn't worth the risk for me um but yeah and and what they've done now um towards the, the back end of it is they're they're using a their platform wechat which basically you can do everything on you can order your dinner you can pay your electricity you can book your flight to wherever you want to go all in the one place um and you chat to your friend you can post your instagram pictures it's all all in one app and uh, basically set up a system where it can be scanned um and wherever you go in the city now um say you went into a mall or you went to a restaurant they would scan your code they would take your temperature and then they would input it into their system which I presume is being sent to the Chinese government um And in terms of what the people have been empowered to do is if they believe you to have the virus, they're legally allowed to sort of detain you and report you. And the police will arrive or the ANDA will arrive and and you can be taken away um, for causing like a sort of uh, a panic amongst people in wherever you are, a mall or whatever.
1: This is fascinating. I mean, it it, it shows how different um, culturally the responses are, and also in the kind of uh, logistical qualities of the of the Chinese state that are being brought to bear. I take it that China is going to use this experience. I mean, we're still in it. We don't we don't really know um, where this goes, but I assume that China is going to because China at the moment is exporting its model, expanding its sphere of influence uh quite rapidly and my general feeling at this point in the crisis is a process which has been going on for decades where uh China has been steadily rising um i get you know uh, the united states is i hege- he got he got hegemonic power um but uh, china is increasingly rivaling it um I get the feeling that this crisis is going to uh, give China the opportunity to uh, to kind of leapfrog several stages of that process and to to use uh, this as as a, as a time to project its model as you know a more dynamic mode of organizing the economy and society.
0: Yeah, I just want to come in on it and say that I, I agree with David here. Like I think that this the crisis and the Chinese containment of the crisis um really drives their ambitions for hegemony in terms of their like governance model, how they organize society, how they've like created this like almost dual type economy. Um and I think that that is really interesting and potentially very very dangerous. Um, outcomes for the shift in global politics.
1: Marty, is that is there much of like a, a a sense of that over there? I mean, is I, perhaps boasting isn't the word, but is, is the Chinese state saying, look, we have a model that can arrest these kinds of, uh, as they put it, uh, uh, as you said, in that um, sort of line that came from the government as a, na- a natural disaster? Um, I mean, is that, is that something that the Chinese government is putting about?
2: I, th- I think right now, uh, the Chinese government is sort of still looking very internally. At the yeah. situation, because it's projected that um, up to nine million people might lose their jobs throughout this virus, which is going to take a, a a hit on on their economy. And already, just now, we're at five million. But they want to take into consideration the loss of uh, sort of uh, income through canceling of the Chinese New Year and things like that. Um, but some of the things that um, that I agree with what you're saying is that the way that the structured uh, they've structured society over here, in terms of about ninety two percent of people own their own homes in China or are have have uh, attained that, and in terms of rent rental. Uh, the rental sector is at 2%. So when you look at things like back home to pay their rent because they they don't have their wages or things like that, I think in terms of the way that society is built here, it's just that people own their own homes and, and structurally within sort of Southern Asian uh, families, the homes are sort of passed down through generations to generations. So if your son gets married then your house is sort of passed on to them, um, and it's sort of a like um, a much more... Uh, the way it's just the way that they, they look at things in terms of what really matters in life uh, to them isn't really uh, the government put forward that the, they, they basically teach in schools that socialism is a religion it, mm. it's basically a sort of a, 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 in the way you would get taught about Jesus and stuff back home is or, or Christianity or Hinduism or Islam or whatever whatever um uh, religious background you're from over here. It's just you're, you're taught these mm-hmm. ideals, and that was one of the start things I remember when I first got to China. Inside my gay community was just a big poster which said socialist. Uh, it was about the socialist way of life and what, why they think that this is the correct way to structure society. But yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be projected across to the world once sort of the the internal. Uh, dissecting of what's happened to their economy has, has been done, um, I think they'll come out the back of end, end of that looking a lot
1: stronger As I understand it um, the, the, the Chinese version of what socialism means is quite nationally specific in the sense that it's not so much you know it, it, for perhaps obvious reasons, it doesn't talk very much about traditional kind of Marxian preoccupations with class struggle and stuff like that. It's kind of more blended with their kind of neo Confucian ideas about that are very common actually in different forms around the world. About you know a common good. There's a, there's a common societal interest. We're a single unitary community, and um you know everyone has to band together for that common interest. Is a, a kind of idea similar to sort of like the common wheel, uh, you know you know th- th- that's a kind of universal idea in a sense of yeah. that there's a general societal good uh, and it's your duty and your responsibility to pursue that as well as your own individual interests.
0: yeah yeah i think can i just come in here because i think that yeah, there's a I think that there's an element to which banal British nationalism plays that role here. So Marty, when you're describing the poster, um, outside your flat, it makes me think of like the British nationalist version is that fucking keep calm and carry on bullshit. That we get fed all the time. Like, you know, I yes. could hear it in like a lot of Boris Johnson's um, addresses during his press conferences. They would talk about, um, you know, the freedom loving British people. And this is what we Brits do is that we come together for the common good. And, um, you know, the majority of the news stories yesterday were about the hundreds of thousands of volunteers, which is great. Um, but, you know, I think that that's not something that's necessarily um, absent in the, the British narrative and um, i just think that it, it manifests in that through that banal british nationalism you know the uh national concern for dear Prince Charles who's currently suffering from the old CV um, <laughs> the good old equaliser of disease um, so yeah I do think that there's an aspect um, of British nationalism that's, that, that's playing out through this crisis um, in similar ways to, to the, do you know I mean? the, the Chinese kind of we're all in this together um, I think it's pretty clear that
1: we're not Yeah, I was listening to uh, um, uh, the radio the other day and a car advert came on, right? So adverts are already uh, tailoring themselves to the pandemic. They're fast, right? Uh, And this advert just made me absolutely howl because it reminded me of, I don't know, something like Children of Men or something like that. The advert was for um, Internet Provider and it went, you know, And it was, we British know how to survive a crisis with dignity. We also know how to get the best broadband deals. I'm not joking. Like,. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what I actually said right in that same kind of stoic voice right do you know what i mean with like elgar playing in the background or something like that it was utterly ridiculous um so i there's going to be so much of that uh you know but emanating both from the state and from the uh the, the the private sector but that was interesting what you're saying marty about you know i i may be thinking a few steps ahead in terms of like i see china um you know going to italy going Sabia as you said uh, sending its experts around the world and obviously that's about soft power that's about projecting Chinese influence, making friendships in a difficult situation and stuff <laughs> but it's interesting that you said you know they still see it as an internal security problem and that you know there are still people arriving in the country with coronavirus um i mean uh i mean is it still going to test china's kind of emerging model this situation we don't we don't actually know when this crisis properly ends it presumably ends when there's some kind of uh, vaccine or something but you think it's the case that chinese authorities are still very concerned about this situation
2: Oh yeah, they're definitely very concerned. In terms of, um, I'll give you just a, a personal story. Um, a colleague of mine has come back from South Africa, and what the what the government are doing cases of coronavirus is that they are now forcing people to go into fourteen day quarantine, and the quarantines can't be done at your own home. You're being sent to a hotel which has been uh, designated by the state, and you to do that at your own cost. So his was. Uh, about 7,000 RMB, which is roughly about £750 just now for the two weeks. Um, so he has to go there and stay there. Um, and obviously, he has still has to pay for his own meals and all these sort of things. Um, so in terms of people coming into China now, they're very, very worried um, that the number of imported cases coming in could uh, sort of re-energize the coronavirus across China um, and specifically... Um, some of the the situations that we've had in the in the last couple of months with tensions from countries across the world. I, I was here for the all the Huawei stuff, and at one point actually got a knife pulled on me, Um and a man shouted "America" and "American" in my face, and I was trying to explain to this guy I'm not from America, mate, like I'm I'm from Scotland. Um So tensions are already drastically being driven up towards like sort of xenophobic um, aspects towards foreigners now coming over here um, and bringing the virus. Um, So whilst people are talking about sort of uh, xenophobia towards Chinese people in America or in the UK, it's also coming back full circle uh, back into China as well. Um, And they're taking a lot more uh, stricter measures um, in terms of we've also been told that we may not be allowed to use public transport. Uh, specific passports such as Italy, Iran, and uh, presuming now Spain, with the drastic number of increased cases. Um, people from those countries, whether they've been in Xi'an or China, for the entire uh, process um, of uh, lockdown, um, they're still not going to be allowed to use public transport, which will drastically impede the number of people going back to work, which is roughly about 60% just now, um, business-wise. But... In terms of the structure of how those companies are working, I mean, my school is technically open now, but we are still teaching online. So I guess that presumes that that will be factored into our businesses, uh, businesses and schools and things that are still open, uh, opening now. But in terms of the percentages, but they're not actually really open and they're not working at full capacity yet, which is, I think, something that you'll see in the UK and across Europe. You'll sort of have a staggered opening of specific industries, um, which will sort of test the waters to see whether coronavirus is actually gone, it's been contained, um, which is what they kind of did here. Um, and it seems to be, we're coming out the back end of things, that things are looking pretty positive. Um,
1: so yeah, but, I feel like yeah, you're kind of
2: touching
0: on this uh, question that I wanted to ask is just a bit like, what what are the measures that the Chinese authorities are putting in place to try and prevent this the idea of a second wave coming from
2: the west it's, it's still pretty much the same legislations that were in place during the lockdown, so temperature checks everywhere as I said um, they're checking people on the on the app that they have designed basically for this um, to check your temperatures and um, in terms of the sort of looking at legislation I think we'll be seeing this to continue across. Um, across the country for at least another three to six months uh, of people being constantly checked when leaving their gay communities and the power being invested into the security and police over here to basically detain people um, if they believe need to have the virus which is from what I'm seeing what the Conservatives seem to be doing in the UK as well. They're basically eroding civil liberties for the next two years to be able to stop people if they presume you have coronavirus.
0: Um, you mentioned something um, earlier on um, around the uh, the origins of the virus at the seafood market or the wet market, as it's been dubbed here, where it's not just seafood that's sold, but it's all these um, like exotic animals for consumption and things. And what I really noticed, um, particularly coming out of like the liberal um, discourse in the US, particularly, and like Liz Warren um, screenshotting a. A tweet of Trump's blurring out the word Chinese every time he says the Chinese virus, and we haven't. We know what Trump is doing there. Do you know what I mean? We know what he's doing, but I think there is a there is an aspect of like xenophobia, like a sort of anti Chinese racism around this uh, this virus. Um, you know, in terms of the, oh, well, you know, that's what you get for eating bat soup type stuff. But I think that the worry is, and I saw you tweeting about this the other day, is that, you know, there's a lot of like liberal voices who seem to think that the real virus is anti-Chinese racism and are kind of forgetting about the fact that there is an actually existing pandemic
1: on the go. I think we're all muted. Um, no, but I, I so Marty, what yeah, could, could you just? I mean, did, did, but I, by the way, did I hear you right? Did you say that a man pulled a knife on you?
2: Yeah, a man pulled a knife on me, yeah, okay, during the Huawei, during the Huawei situation.
1: A man pulled a knife on you, uh, because he, he, you're a Westerner and you know, he was sort of angry that you might be bringing the disease in and stuff. I mean, that, that, yeah, that,
2: I mean, no, it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't during the disease, it was during the, the Huawei situation um, oh, right. between okay. China and America yeah, yeah so, so then we're, a lot of foreigners here are now worried about sort of the implications later down if that's something that escalates xenophobia is that this is going to be maybe 10 times worse
1: so as per Cat's question like do you think that this is going to be like A major feature of the coming era of that kind of uh, the use of kind of xenophobia um, in countries all over the world to to redefine that this situation as being about uh, national difference and and national suspicion and so on.
2: Yeah, well, there was something that it was it it's it's a conspiracy theory, but it's one that has grown over here and has been actually put out by. Uh, uh, legislators within the Chinese government I think it was the Minister for Foreign Affairs um, has actually put forward this theory that they believe that America brought the virus here so in uh, late 2019 Wuhan hosted the military games which is I guess of the Olympics for people in the army um, and the people who compete in these games obviously from all across the different uh, armies and special forces across the world um, were based very close to the seafood market in Wuhan and uh, basically the Chinese minister for foreign affairs has basically stated that he thinks the Americans brought the virus here and uh, it's been used to try and destroy China from the inside Um, which is similar to what Kat is talking about with Trump constantly mentioning China and every Chinese disease and all these things they're sort of trying to flip things on the head now. And I don't know if this is just a rogue element within within this of uh, the Chinese government, but he basically said the Americans didn't do well in the games when they were here, and they seemed preoccupied and they basically engaged in bio-warfare, which is just absolutely wild. Uh, it goes along with the 5G conspiracies, and but I think in terms of, yeah, it's just going to heighten tensions between uh, America and China drastically uh, for years and years to come. And another point that you mentioned with... Uh, China offering support to a lot of European countries. That's the whole Belt and Road initiative. Um, China have uh, bought uh, bought into, per- uh, percentage-wise, a lot of ports in Europe, specifically in Italy, in Genoa, and also in uh, Valencia, and I think they have one in Bilbao, and I know they definitely have bought a large percentage stake in one in Piraeus and Greece as well. Um, so, support going to u- these European countries is is definitely on the back end of they're trying to sort of protect their interests in the Belt and Road initiatives um, coming into Europe as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I just, I can see years from now, this still having repercussions in terms of that international competition between the United States and China. And you can see the measures coming. I would not be surprised at all if the European Union, partly under American pressure, partly under its own wind, starts to crack down on things like, you know, those trading relationships, those port cities and stuff like that.
0: Um. So we're coming towards the end of the pod now Um, and what I really want to know is, Marty, how did you survive your quarantine? Like, what did you do with all your time? Were you still working during it? Uh,
2: So I had a month off, basically. I had the whole month of February off and then at the start of March I had to work from home, so I was teaching classes online um, which has been a challenge in its own with China's Wi-Fi, which isn't the best um, and a lot of different technical issues of um sort of the system that we were using and things like that. I was driving me more mad than being locked inside, to be honest. Um but it's just it's just about making daily routines and doing things. I've I've at the start of that I found myself just often just wandering about my apartment, just sort of lost because I was off work. I didn't really have anything to do. Um, but it's, it's just about making daily routines and sticking to them and you set a time to get up, set a time to go for a shower, set a time to make your dinner, your breakfast. You have to have a schedule or otherwise the isolation will eventually just get really into your head. And especially I saw myself on social media a lot i spent a lot of time on social media when it first happened and it was the worst thing i could have done because it was heightening my concerns around what was going on and it was also just making me really angry people just chatting absolute shit about whether it was like xenophobia towards china china or talking about like just irrelevant things and what i deemed was like an actual situation that was about to really drastically grip the entire world because to start off, everyone just kind of thought oh, that's only happening in China and we don't have to worry about it. And I just thought, you just don't have a clue what's coming. If, like, there needs to be, like, this needs to be spread as much as possible. And the the word of like what, what you, in terms of Europe and the rest of the world, need to be doing early on, and I think it was just completely ignored. And you've got yourself in a situation now where you're just chasing your tail for weeks and weeks on end and I don't end in for at least 6 months in Europe and that really upsets me because I was supposed to be coming home in July Aww. but I think now I'm I am I'm, think I'm safer here now to be honest with you uh, um, yeah. so I'm looking at stay, staying longer um, in terms of coming home with looking for a job and things like that I just think it's just going to be impossible I think I, I'm better just staying out here for a longer period of time
0: I mean I've noticed that like the old working from home like I have to be super strict with myself like I've got this thing like this 15 minute day planner where I plan like like what I'm doing every fifteen minutes. That's not to say that I've got a different thing every fifteen minutes. Like it'll just be like blocked off time, but I have to be dead specific. And my mum is she's retired now. Oh, she works from home. I don't know what that was. Hold on. Okay, we're back. And <laughs> um, so, guys, I've just literally had a food parcel delivered because I've got a bit of a cough. Um, so that's uh that's my food parcel from. Uh, James just dropped off so I have this is uh, this is like my quality life so I've got two packets of cherry tomatoes three bottles of diet tonic water and some chocolate what about that? that's me sorted
1: yeah it's definitely what the doctor ordered Uh, what about fruit?
0: I've got loads of frozen fruit Mm. do you know you know how you buy like freezer fruit?
1: yeah
0: I've got that (laughs) Sorry, I just can't explain what frozen food is. fruit is. So I've gone really weird since um, the quarantine has started, to be honest. So I was describing to David earlier on how, like, in order to give myself some structure, like, when it becomes nighttime and I, like, I stop working, like, I will, like, log off the work computer, shut everything down, and then I'll put on the mood light in my flat. So, like, I'll put on the wee fairy lights and the lamps and then I'll go make dinner. And when I go make dinner, I'll set the table and a place for myself at the table. And uh, I'm setting the, the place for myself at the table and then I'll sort of, like, what started to happen is I'm doing this weird routine where I do a little bit where I'm pretending to play two characters. One is like the maitre d' at a restaurant, and the other one is me playing me. So I'll go, I'll go and <laughs> sit down at the table, and I'll be like, Bonjour, madame. Would you like uh, the table here? And I'll be like, Yes, thanks. Uh, table for one, please. And then I'll have this kind of dialogue with a, a fake waiter. Is this normal?
1: This is after only four days. Uh, do you know what I mean? <laughs> This is. This is official lockdown started on Monday. Well, fine,
0: fine, right? How are you dealing with it, David?
1: Well, see, uh, I, I got quickly changed before we did the video call there because I didn't want you to see that I was still in my dressing gown. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I've degenerated, basically. Do you know what I mean? As as is quite inevitable. I'm still wearing my dressing gown at uh, uh, 12 in the afternoon. I also, perhaps I shouldn't admit this. Perhaps it's illegal to do so. I went out for I went out for two walks yesterday. Oh no. I know. I went out for two walks. There were two short walks. I kept my distance from everyone. But I did go out for two walks because I was starting to go mad. I walk. Uh, I usually walk about a couple hours every day, and it's very. You walk everywhere. Yeah, it's very important for my sense of well-being. And I was. I thought I was. Doing, I was flying through quarantine at first, and then I realised. Like, see, once they said you can only go out for one walk a day, or well, they didn't actually say that. They say you can go out for one form of exercise a day, whatever that means. But I was just like. Walking outside once a day only That's when I started to feel the claustrophobia But it'll be much worse once uh, Once uh, even that privilege is uh, withdrawn Presumably
0: Yeah, that privilege will be revoked Now you've broadcast to all our listeners That you've been out for two bloody walks That's how privileges get revoked In the big British so jail decadent, So decadent,
1: so <laughs> decadent
0: um, Yeah, I mean, Mark, You didn't even really get out
1: for walks, I guess You said you got an hour a day. Yeah, I got an hour a day.
2: The way that the communities are here, so... Strictly enforced. If you came back an an hour later or a bit later, you security guys would be wagging their fingers in your face and shouting at you repeatedly in Chinese um, but I think basically at back home you can go anywhere as long as you've got trainers on and you can pretend you're out for a run and no one will know whether you're on your fourth or fifth or sixth run for the day don't, don't give me any Just idea wear a tracksuit track and you're fine David you can go anywhere you want
0: Hi <laughs> Jameson, dig out that infamous old tracksuit that you have
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mold old cap what were you asking Kat before James turned up with your hand? I
0: was just talking about um the what is happening with like insanity and in quarantine. Yeah. And I just wanted to get Marty's top tips, really. Uh
1: yeah, so uh do you do you agree with the uh, Kat's Maitre D s you know? Sketch uh, performance, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I I think because cat is is not engaged in exercise part, i we could maybe let it slide. But I mean, we're day four, and I'm I'm worried about day fifteen, sixteen, where we might be at on after, or Coronacast or Corona Cast after.
1: Yeah, after that
2: point just
1: just finally, because I, I want to ask because you did touch on it, you did say you're worried about the situation in the West and you don't think it's going to be good We, as, In our opening kind of bit we said, you know, governments are going to start driving people back to work and I think that in governing circles, obviously in the United States where they are just pear-shaped with this uh, argument, I mean it's blatant in America you need to go back to the economy and save the economy, right? Um, but I think also in lots of other Western governments, this is an argument that's going to be gaining traction. Um, You know, we may be overreacted. We can't just persist on lockdown. We need to start getting people back to work. I mean, regardless of the antibody testing and all the arguments around that, do you think that 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 would be a dangerous ton? I mean, do you think that we we need to maintain the kind of strict containment policy?
2: Yeah, I think when uh, i've spoken to sort of uh chinese people over here uh, they're asking in sort of group chats what's things like back home and i'll send them photos of the the tube in london and they're just absolutely horrified by how that situation has been dealt with and I, and they they fundamentally believe that the way the chinese government has done, dealt with this has been the best possible outcome um, we were two months basically of full lockdown and now we're at about 40 cases, I think was reported yesterday, um, most of which were import. port. Um, but as I saw today, the British government are changing how they're def- going to define new cases and they have to basically get the permission of the family, but it's also anonymous. I really... I really don't understand what what is going through the British state's mind right now in terms of how they are coming to terms with. I mean, we've gone from herd immunity to we can't tell anyone what's going on now because we haven't asked their mum or dad if it's all right. Like, it, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre behaviour. It's called it's uh, Cummings behaviour. Yeah. Um, Dominic Cummings—it's just properly bad shit. Like I don't, I can't even begin to describe what the Chinese people are looking at. The rest of the world are doing and thinking: Why are you not just following in our lead? Like we're two months into this, and and we're sort of out of it now. Why, I mean, why not just follow a model that's already there? What
0: I see happening is that like a bit of manipulation about the figures in Britain, I think, is coming. And I think that there is a a kind of a lockdown remorse has set in. Um, like I think that Boris Johnson is probably regretting the lockdown now that um, the economic impact is becoming clearer, like hourly, basically. So I think there's a degree of that and trying to roll back on some of those lockdown um, enforcements. And so I think that I think yesterday the deaths was quite small compared to how it had been. I'm not sure about that. I would need to, to double check. But it came out very late. So I think that this like reclassifying whether people have it or don't and got to like check permission with the family and all that sort of thing is like it kind of reminds me a little bit of when labour reduced child poverty just by changing all the thresholds and benchmarks for what that is. Like really I see a kind of like technocratic manipulation of figures for political reasons happening Um, and I think that that's all designed around getting people back into work.
1: Yeah, I think I, I can well imagine that's gonna be the push. And as Marty says, like as Marty says, there's a, you know, that there, there is a proven model. And whatever the wider concerns around that, and I think it's right, you know, if peop that people have civil liberties concerns and stuff around that kind of thing, I think it does show both the arrogance of a lot of Western powers um uh that they didn't feel feel like the chinese model was in any way appropriate to them um and also just yeah that that total preoccupation on you know stabilizing the markets and stuff like that um but i suppose we'll need to see how it pans out and how that argument uh develops
0: okay well we've come to the end of the pod um Thank God that I'm not the person who's going to be editing this. I will say that. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for your time, Marty. Um, it's been really nice to, to chat um, no and find out what's happening in China. I think the next episode, we're going to try and get someone on from the States, um, which is the other, like New York City is particularly um, impacted by the virus and just give everyone what they want which is another episode of CoronaCast it's nice not to talk about Scotland all the time to be honest I
1: know
0: so, thanks everyone for listening. Um, you can follow us on Twitter um, at Kitty Cat Boyd or the classic David underscore Jameson Seven. Um, and Marty is on Twitter, and I think you're uh, at Martin Smith ninety one. Ninety one, your date of birth?
2: That is I'm, correct. Ninety one is my date of birth. I'm
0: ancient. Like, um, I'm too old for this guy. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in the vulnerable category. Um, <laughs> So yeah, you can follow us on Twitter and um, you can also follow at Conor Scott. There's loads of articles coming out on Contour, um about the virus, um, economic impact. So check it out there. Um, you can also make a donation to the pod if you've enjoyed it through our Patreon. Um, so thanks very much for listening. Marty, take care and everyone in, uh, who's in lockdown, um, please uh, have a table for one.